April 24th. It's Caden's third birthday today, which is why we didn't do a podcast last night because we were too busy baking cakes and making banners and wrapping presents. As usual, I underestimated how much time it would take to do those types of things, and I thought we could probably do a podcast. (laughs) Anyways, Caden had a good birthday, I think. He liked his wrapping paper. Mm-hmm. Balloons. Yeah, he played with the wrapping paper the most for sure. Smashed a cake. He can't eat cake, but he can smash it. He tried the to eat it. Smashiest smash he ever did. Mm-hmm. Okay, but down to business. So a few updates from previous podcasts. Tillich, I think you should start off the podcast. The most with important. Your most important bank update. Bank. How is your banking going? Well, it successful now, but. I still I should have mentioned the day so I the last time we talked about going to the bank to open a business account I said I was turned away cuz the person didn't show up and then they told me that I should be able to do it online and so they set up a call for me the next day at 2 o'clock turns out they lied you <laughs> s- do have to go into the bank <laughs> so I didn't get a call the next day so then the f- day after that I called in and said hey how come I didn't and called me and then the guy said well I was waiting there for you because <laughs> it's for opening business accounts you have to come in in person <sighs> so then he booked another appointment for me for today which he was uh, 12 minutes late for Okay, I was a little annoyed but I was okay with it the one thing I will say they need to get rid of their seating like now if you have an appointment they still ask you to go over and sit on these seats right I want to sit on a seat. I just right. st- I just stood over at the side. But yes. why are you giving people seat? I mean, I can understand having one or two benches where, you know, if you have older people that need or mm-hmm. like can't stand, yes, give them a seat. But don't invite people to sit. Like I think that's just who who knows shared amenities. Yeah, you don't need any more. Like one person sat in three different seats while they were there. <laughs> like I saw them <laughs> moving around. Like why do you want to do that right now? All right, but you got your account. It it's open. Congratulations. Thank you. No more going to the bank. Yeah. Second topic, mm-hmm. continuing from another podcast, is High Park. Mm. And I was complaining that I didn't think Toronto should close High Park. And then I got a text from my friend Jane the next day, who uses High Park on the regular. Mm-hmm. And she said that she agrees with John Tory on this. Because she doesn't think people will social distance. And she said that in Washington, D.C., for their cherry blossoms, they had thousands of people that weren't social distancing. So, Mm. I mean, Jane's smarter than me. So, (laughs) she's smarter than both of us. I would tend to go with Jane, but I still don't like. I still feel like it's kind of paternalistic, but maybe I just have too much faith in people to do the right thing. And maybe it's just an experiment that should not be tested. The problem, again, I think, is you see... Part of this, I think, is that you're only going to see the few people that aren't doing a good job. It's so visible. Mm -hmm. You don't see what I suspect is 95% of people, 90 to 95% of people who are respecting things and doing things as they're supposed to. Yeah, I mean, we're just not out. We, I don't know if... That's what I'm saying. Like, there's right. so... if it's 90 to 95. 
I just mean you can never you the, just our ability to assess it is just so mm-hmm. poor, right? It's just like a visible yeah. thing, and you have no you don't know the size of the other group that's following the rules. Mm-hmm. And it's I think it's uh, like at some point hopefully there'll be some way of there's some evidence like maybe someone's actually studying this. I hope so because then we can actually say what impact. Yeah. closing a park would have right It'd be yeah nice they to better know. be because we're gonna need to know for It'd future ni- outbreaks it, it would be nice to know if that fi- let's let's assume for a moment if it was five percent of the population doesn't listen and they keep gathering like i i think there must be some bend in the curve in terms of you know import you know if you have 90 percent of people following the rules those last 10 percent don't matter that much mm-hmm. it, you know you're gonna have most of the impact but did you just say 95 and 10 i was trying to say 90 and 10 as an example, as right. a different example. Just checking. Move on. We ha- we got lots so to talk about. So, okay, we're just labeling the high park closure as controversial. Yeah. At this time. Okay, a few short things. Public health units in Ontario, some public health units in Ontario, including Toronto, are going to start collecting COVID data, um, including race and occupation data. Excellent. We're going to get more stratified data. Great news. Um, bad news was, this is old news, probably everyone knows this by now, but Doug Ford's 95-year-old mother-in-law has COVID-19 in a long-term care home. My main thought on that when I heard that is just that he's going to be such a different person now after what he's gone through compared to who he was prior to becoming premier and everything that he's done and gotten pushback on and having gone through this thing. I kind of feel for the guy a little like i hope so i really feel for the guy i mean in this pandemic he's done from what i can see he's done a good job yeah and that doesn't cease hasn't stopped amazing me considering how he started but yeah but i mean if he like who knows what he's where he's gonna be at the end of his term like what's he gonna be whole different person i think mm-hmm. good for him um and on the topic of long-term care homes um the star the newspaper the star has started a database for long-term care deaths because they noticed that the province's numbers didn't seem to be right and mm-hmm. so they like manually put this database mm-hmm. together mm-hmm. they have to manually update it mm-hmm. it's like crazy amount of work because they don't have access to any of the reporting systems they're still going to do a better job though they are doing a better job so right now they have 640 no nope that's not the right number i lost the right number 609 deaths they've tracked in Ontario's long-term care home Mm. and on Ontario's website they have 573 which is weird they actually have two numbers here it's been so long since we've looked at the numbers Mm. so they're reporting two numbers they have a ministry of long-term care daily report Mm -hmm. 573 deaths Mm -hmm. And the 
IFAS report, the Public Health Ontario Daily Epidemiological Summary, 463 deaths. Mm-hmm. So I'm not... They are even they don't even know what their numbers are but both are being are under reported Hmm. so i don't really know the consequence of that is but it does seem like ontario does not have good eyes on the situation so we start from a poor testing situation and then we go to even when we're testing then we can't like get the numbers to the decision makers which is a problem. Did you mention the total number since we're talking about testing? What I was just gonna so go yeah. testing in Ontario has been ramping up and I see here that tests completed the previous day was twelve thousand two hundred and ninety five. Which is a very big number. It's a big number finally. If if they hadn't claimed thirteen thousand way back when I would think that's impressive, but now it's yeah. Like but we were stuck at like two to four thousand for this whole time. I know they lose some points though for saying they could do thirteen thousand when really they couldn't. Sure, they're still but not at thirteen. 000. Now they can. Mm, they can mm. do twelve thousand two hundred and whatever you just said. Twelve thousand two hundred ninety-five. Yeah, twelve thousand three hundred. I'll give them. I mean, can't you like round up? Moving on. <laughs> from twelve thousand two hundred. Anyways, the point is, it's going. It's gone up a lot. Yes, I was very surprised when I saw that. That is good news. It is good news. Okay, and then I wanted to talk about Ontario Assistive Devices Program. This is mm. something I've been meaning to mention for a bazillion years, mm-hmm. but I keep forgetting because it's not. It's never. I've never seen it in a headline. Mm-hmm. Um. So ADP, Ontario Assistive Devices Program, is the program that pays for assistive devices. What it pays for wheelchairs, most notably. Mm-hmm. Walkers. It, like, I don't, does it pay for, like, bath? Yeah, it pays for, like, bath baths, benches. benches and bath seats. Um, For Caden, it pays for all his respiratory supplies and his ventilator supplies and his feeding supplies um we got his wheelchair through adp pays for his feeding pump it pays for just a ton of assistive devices Mm -hmm. um that people need and somehow they are not operating (laughs) they're not they're not considered an essential essential service um so I had to ask them every three months I need to get an insurance letter for them. And so I emailed them at the beginning of March and or April and I got a bounce back email saying they weren't available. Hmm. And th- I don't think that letter is super important, but there's a lot of people like and start from the fact that ADP was already about six months behind and people are already they're waiting and waiting and waiting for these devices they need to live. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people need these devices to get discharged from the hospital. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's not a problem for us now that ADP isn't working because they're still giving us our regular payments for his supplies. Mm-hmm. 
but if we were just being discharged from the hospital and had to set up all all that stuff up where would we be yeah so i think it's just insane like it's part of the healthcare system mm-hmm. it's just insane to me now i did see a report that one person got a wheelchair so I don't know how that happened, or maybe they're trying they're trying to trickle through some urgent stuff. I don't know, mm-hmm. but that anyone shut that down in the first place was kind of crazy. You know, the thing about ADP that I remember people talking about at work is it's this shadowy, <laughs> like it really has this mystique about it. Like no one really understands who is i mean i'm sure we can find out who runs it and stuff but like there it seems to be this like organization like to get on the list like let's say you develop a new wheelchair or something or a new medical device that Mm -hmm. should i mean it's not like you it's not like a physiotherapist is going to recommend it just because you made it it has to be Mm -hmm. something that a medical professional actually recommends before it would even matter right but you can't get on their list like you can't become uh funded like something your device if you come up with something it's very 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 difficult to get onto this magical mythical list of devices to have it covered and it just feels like this weird little corrupt i don't know (laughs) corrupt-esque i'm not going to say corrupt necessarily but there's there's yeah, something happening. Put this out to all twenty of our listeners when we depend on this service. <laughs> I'm yes, it gets out. Maybe I'll edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> but it, right. it just has this weird feeling to it that it's not it's not a transparent system by any means. And no. That's no. It's not a transparent system. Oh. That that's for sure. People have a lot of so it doesn't surprise me, I guess, is what that when you mentioned that it's like shutting down. But it is a very important service yeah. that provides a lot of people with a lot of very necessary yeah. health equipment. Yeah. Yeah. Which seems to me should be an essential service. Yeah. Sure. Anyways. Moving on. Students get some money. That's exciting exciting. Mm-hmm. They what twelve hundred I think was it twelve fifty for I should have looked up the numbers. I think it's twelve fifty for most students. And I think seventeen fifty or fifteen a month for four months. For yeah, for the summer. the summer. I guess it's basically assuming that many many students are not going to be able to find work, and so which they normally would. Have. Which they normally would have. So I think it's kind of to sort of make up a little bit of the money they would have earned mm-hmm. as a result. So that's very. Uh, it's almost like a UBI for a short period of time. For students. Universal basic income for students for four months. Here yeah. you go. <laughs> it's kind of a neat project, and I hope people are studying the heck out of this thing to see how it works. And I don't know. I don't think there's enough researchers to study everything that needs to be studied. Yeah. Oh, speaking of, I'm getting recruited to be um, a patient advisor on one of the um, the convalescent serum studies. Mm-hmm pediatric for COVID-19 nice where they're gonna I guess treat COVID-19 patients with serum from people who've already had it so like if Caden gets it we 
we'd be part of the study no, or no, how no, do you no, no, no. like i would i'll be like the parent patient parent advisor on the oh on the project committee who's oh, oh, doing oh, oh. the study cool oh great that's maybe neat. yeah 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 very neat we'll we'll see but there's just to say there's this is like yeah just so many studies oh popping my god up everywhere well i think part of it is researchers are worried because so much is getting cut like there's so much uncertainty in research funding in the baseline research funding like CIHR canceling their thing and like no one really knows it's sort of like a bit of a panic to like oh I guess we should all be putting stuff into COVID mm -hmm. be something because all this money is going into COVID so I guess I should try to get a piece of that mm -hmm. to make sh to like just for security even though I don't know. I'm sure those people, everyone. There's so much to study. There I'm is sure so many things to study. Everyone can find you something useful to study. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah. Okay. Okay. In Ontario, you said that Doug Ford was going to put out some plan about reopening? Yeah. So it sounds like Doug Ford next week is going to release the Ontario, I don't know, some plan. I'm not sure how detailed it's going to be, but like, like what, I guess... Quebec had said that they're about to do the same thing. So it makes sense that, and I just saw mm -hmm. a note from a note, uh, just a headline that said, I think Trudeau is asking all first ministers, all the premiers to work together on a plan as well. So Right. So we all go by the same standards. I, uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe not, but just to connect with each other so that there's, you know, be aware. I, I, I'd, I would find it hard to th I would find it hard to get everybody to agree to the same things necessarily right. but at least they sh it's good that they're hopefully going to put their heads together and come up with mm -hmm. Yeah, that'll be interesting. There's so many ideas flying around out there about how kind of what metrics you use yeah. to reopen, what speed you reopen, when do you lock down again? It's, it will be very interesting to see what they're what thinking, happens. what yeah. the people in charge are thinking. Yeah. All right. So one of the things I want to talk about is zero prevalence. And I just looked up the definition of this word. And it is the level of a pathogen in a population as measured in blood serum. Uh -huh. So basically you go and you take people's bloods and you check for the presence of antibody uh -huh. against your pathogen, in this case COVID-19, and you see how many people have antibodies against the virus and then you know how many people have had the disease. If you assume that everyone that's had the disease then develops antibodies. Yes. Right. We are making that assumption. Yeah. So zero prevalence tests are starting to be done globally and a bunch just this past week came out in the States mm -hmm. and they all show what everyone assumed, which is that the actual infection rate is much higher mm -hmm. than our measured case rate. Mm -hmm. Now, the exact prevalence of the disease is there's so many caveats with these studies um, because of the sensitivity of the tests that they're using, because of their how they sample the population, like who do they select yeah. to take blood from, and all these things are going to impact 
their results. Yeah. So there's a very wide range of estimates as to how many cases we're missing. Yeah. Are we missing? Are we undercounting by? Are there 10 times more cases or 80 times more cases out there? Yeah. It is kind of like the question. Yeah. But basically, there are a lot more. <laughs> so it's is like the low end of the estimate 10 times? No, the low end of the estimate is probably five times. Uh-huh. I would say. Yeah. Um so there's yeah, that is the low estimate. So you could probably say like for that might it might not be true in places that are doing a lot of testing like Germany and South Korea and right. Iceland. But if you're in just kind of the average testing uh-huh. area where people people who are going into hospitals are being tested, people who are really sick are being tested, healthcare workers are being tested, and not really anybody else, uh-huh. then, yeah, we can probably assume there's at least five times more cases out there. Right. Based on the zero prevalence work that's been done. Right. So in New York... Um, a study that was just really said in the whole state, about 14% of the state's population, they think, may have been yeah. infected already. Uh-huh. And it's about 21% of the population in New York City. Uh. So that, those are pretty high numbers. Yeah. Um, and the consequence of this is like it helps it it feeds into models right yeah because so there are these two numbers that epidemiologists talk about the case fatality rate and the infection fatality rate and the case fatality rate is how many people die of your known identified cases yeah and the infection fatality rate is how many people die of everybody infected yeah so a couple of things to keep in mind is that generally, I think mortality rates are case fatality rates. So when people start talking about seroprevalence and recalculating the fatality rate based on seroprevalence, you're actually talking about the infection fatality rate. Yeah. And then people, I've seen this so many times, will then compare that to the case fatality rate for influenza. Yeah. And be like, oh, it's the same. But actually, no, it's not. You have to look at all the unreported cases of influenza. It's the same problem. We also miss flu cases. Lots of people stay home with the flu and never go to the doctor and never get tested and aren't counted as a case. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, watch out for that in reporting. Right. That's a good point. Um, But I think it is good. I mean, obviously, it's good news that there's more people infected that haven't died. Like yeah. the lower the infection fatality rate, the better off we all are. Yeah. And then kind of related to that, um, people have been doing investigative work into cases in the States from early February and January that were kind of mysterious, unexplained deaths and illnesses mm-hmm. because um, in California they found two deaths from COVID-19 that were reanalyzed that were earlier than their first reported death. Um, 
going back like I think two weeks possibly before their first reported death. Mm-hmm. And so, and it was a community spread that person hadn't recently traveled. So if they had commu- if they had a person die, um, I think it was beginning of March. Oh, I should have looked this up. Yeah, and then that means like two or three weeks ago, yeah, that person picked it up. Yeah, three weeks prior to that, there must have been at least a hundred people. Yeah. Like if you think the case fatality rate's around one percent, or if the infection fatality rate is even higher, like yeah, there's at least a hundred people. Yeah. Infected in that area in a time when no one had en- like a month before anyone had any idea that it was there. Yeah. Huh. Um, so it just kind of, people are now seeming to think that it's very possible that it was widely circulating. I mean, widely that it was circulating in major cities in the States in January. And the article that I was reading, um, just had all these anecdotes about like this crazy illness that went through this office in Chicago and this person that got really sick and like, it's all just speculation yeah right yeah. until they have their tests but it's i mean they frame it in such a way that it makes it sound like oh yeah definitely that whole office had covid19 in january yeah did it would seem <laughs> that this testing should also give us the number of people who test positive but were asymptomatic so you yeah so do we have should do we what are the estimates on that coming out well i don't know because um i don't know it didn't say Uh but that also so i think also the asymptomatic people are the people least likely to have antibodies too oh so it could be a bit skewed no, but based on the serum testing, so mm-hmm. you test the serum, the people mm-hmm. that, and you ask them before you get their blood, I guess, right? You can yeah. ask them, did you experience any of these symptoms? Yes. Whatever. And then some will say yes, some will say no. And then mm-hmm. the ones that come out positive, you then say, okay, th- this many people. I know. But. But I'm saying in the group that come out negative. Some of those people could also. Could, they could have been asymptomatic carriers and just not made enough antibodies. Yeah. yeah. So if your seroprevalence test will show you that 20% of people were asymptomatic carriers. Yeah. Okay. That could be underestimating. I see. But I haven't seen that number reported, so I don't know. Uh-huh. Um, if they included that in their studies. Uh, I see. But anyways, it's very, I mean, these, these studies are just going to keep happening. Yeah. And we'll get a more, more agreed upon numbers uh-huh. in case fatality rates and infection fatality rates. Uh-huh. Um, and there is other things, one more thing I want to talk about, but it's getting too late. And I think you're actually falling asleep. No. Nope. Your eyes are closed. I, yeah, I'm just resting my eyes. Yeah, he's just resting his eyes. So I think we'll skip. <laughs> you could the talk about it. No, well, it's too late. I need to go to bed too. 
Uh. Okay, so I'll joke then. Uh-huh. And the jokes are about Trump. I didn't want to talk about this seriously because I can't handle that man, but he joked at his press conference. He No, he didn't joke. He was wondering, musing aloud at his press conference whether we could clean our our insides with some kind of disinfectant maybe through some kind of injection or cleaning out the lungs i don't know so now everyone in the whole world is like trying to tell people not to drink bleach (laughs) or inject themselves with bleach Uh so two jokes related to that sad piece of news Uh one is that mr clean has been now selected to head the coronavirus task force yeah in light of this new information. <laughs> and also, President Trump had test results reported, and he was told that his IQ test came back negative. <laughs> so yeah. go. Pretty good. All right. I think we're done. That's it. Good, good. night. Good night.